We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Troche, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92, and you can follow me at Bill Troche, and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star review and submit a, a brief review that would be very helpful to us. We're giving you half-hour entertainment. We're asking for one or two minutes worth of writing a review back. So, Bill, week seven is in the books. Interesting week seven. Uh, what did you think of the big games and how they played out? Um, you know, it's set up for this week. We talked about it was don't mess it up, and pretty much the top teams didn't. And uh, the Washington-Oregon game was as advertised. And Notre Dame was fantastic. And Notre Dame had a huge win against USC. That obviously shakes up some things in the Pac-12. It creates, but it spills into this week. Like everything last week's kind of short-lived because, you know, spinning it forward, we have a top 10 showdown. We have two elimination games. We have the second half of the season starting. And it's exciting. I mean, this is why we love the regular season. I know we're going to debate that again in our weekly segment. But, uh, um, yeah, it was a fun weekend. I thought... Washington, Oregon, obviously, was a great showcase. And the thing that was going on on my timeline, Bill, was if you were flipping back between Washington and Oregon and Iowa, Wisconsin, you were watching two different sports. And (laughs) that was definitely out there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The I quick note the Iowa Minnesota over under mm-hmm. thirty two and a half this week. <laughs> That's going to be a fit, and it'll probably be right on that line um, thirty two and a half. So, Iowa won a football game with thirty seven yards passing last week. Incredible, incredible! I did share that tweet with you yesterday, and it backs up what I've been saying a little bit about how we've lacked this seismic upset that there were of the top. 15 preseason uh, in the preseason top 25, the top 15 teams have had 71 games where they were favored by at least 10 points. And their record in those games is 70 and one. So we've had one upset. I didn't look it up. I think it's Duke upsetting Clemson. Yeah, they were double digit. That's the one. They were probably a double digit dog uh, when they beat Clemson. Uh, That's it. And so I expect that number n- not to be 70 and one. It's probably 65. Normal years by 65, but we see a few, but we're really not seeing it. And that's going to, that is setting us up for a really dramatic second half. I hope so. I mean, I think with me, it's, you know, you look, I do the picks against the spread for us every week at Sporting News and they're hard. I mean, I, it's taken me six weeks. And now that I say it, I know what's going to happen next six weeks to get, from a disaster week one to above 500. So I track every ranked game, every ranked on ranked game and how I, how I do on those. And this is to your point. So if you look at straight up games with between ranked teams, I'm like 15 and six straight up. And the misses are Texas over Alabama. And uh, what's what I'm looking at right here. The, the, not the kind of the the upsets you're talking about. Like Texas over Alabama is probably the biggest game we've had in terms of something like that happening. Or Florida State over LSU. But they're not seismic, the seismic upsets you're talking about where they're storming. Because storming the field, honestly, has become a cliched event because now you storm a field when you beat a 4-4 four and four team for some reason. But um, you're right. We haven't had that all-in moment other than Duke over Clemson, which kind of set the tone for the ACC race. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so let's get into some Trochi trivia, then we'll go look back a little bit at week seven and what's cooking around the, the college football world, including a tough injury for the number one team. We'll talk about that. But uh, Washington is in the headlines. They are uh, in the driver's seat, at least, for a playoff spot, you would think. Uh, the last time Washington made the playoff was in 2016, 
They went 11 and one in the regular season. Then they had to win the Pac-12 championship game in order to get a berth in the college football playoff where they eventually played Alabama. Trochi trivia, who did Washington beat in the Pac-12 championship game in 2016 to earn their CFP berth? I know that one. You know that one. 2016? Yeah, I I got you on that one. I, I, I think. You think uh, right, we'll, we'll, we'll find out at the end of the show. Keep thinking about that one. Don't trip yourself up. Don't yep. overthink it. But uh, yeah, Pac-12 championship game, Washington won and then advanced to the college football playoff. So I mentioned uh, injury to number one team. Uh, Brock Bowers goes down, sprained ankle, going to require surgery, uh, playing against Vanderbilt on Saturday. Uh, your thoughts on what this does to Georgia's playoff hopes undefeated hopes and should they continue to be number one week after week after week with their probably their most influential offensive player out for a month and a half and maybe out for the year i think it creates hope that they're get more gettable now because of what he opens up for the offense but and i was talking to tim may about this i went on his podcast this week he visited us before notre dame and he he Apparently, Urban Meyer and I share the same line of thinking, that they're the king until somebody knocks them off. And that's where I'm sticking with it. It's They're gettable, but they're still number one. And I don't – should they be ranked number one? I don't know. I mean, you could make a case for Washington, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, based on resume. But until somebody – I don't think it's real until somebody beats Georgia. That's the way I would justify it. And – they were talking about him getting the Tua, what the Tua tightrope surgery. If I'm Brock Bowers, I don't play the rest of the year. I don't. I, I don't jeopardize my first round status and all of those things. He's done enough. Um, but we'll see. So I think for Georgia, Missouri becomes a more interesting game. Yeah. Tennessee becomes a more interesting game to me. Those are actually game. Ole Miss is a more interesting game now. And those are the teams that I can tell you safely up here in Big Ten country whether it's high state or Michigan or Penn state fans, they probably feel like it's more gettable now. And that's, what's going to add to the intrigue of these big games in big 10 country. Yeah. I I've always been a, never been a proponent of an injury affecting a team's ranking. I don't think that's right. I think at this, we talked about this at this point in the season, the rankings should be not predictive, they're, they're reflective of your resume and who you've beaten and things like that. And and the predictive thing is from the preseason. So if your, your quarterback goes down, your tight end goes down, your All-American goes down, we're, we're not doing – we're not in the predictive business at this point in the season. I feel like you just – what you've accomplished is what you've accomplished. So if you think Georgia is, should be still number one – is number one at this point, an injury like that should not knock them off. Now, if they struggle next week – then you can reevaluate, but I, you know, I, you know what I'm saying. I don't think good. Right. Um, now they can, yeah. I didn't like it, you know, when the NCAA tournament people evaluate on, well, this guy got injured, and so we're going to knock him down a seed line or two seed line. Like that's not right to me. You don't know how the backup's going to play. You don't know. You got to reward what you see on the on the court in that case. You know, an NFL team does not get knocked out of the number two seed if their quarterback goes down a week 16. Like, it's just, it's silly, you know. So, to me, um, if you think Georgia's number one right now, even though they lost their tight end, they still got to be number one. I agree. Now, the committee 
does factor in injuries and they should with results of games they do like as we get into november like remember when tua got hurt it impacted how we thought about alabama because like you said it was more became predictive and i agree with you on that that you shouldn't move but the perception of georgia does change without their best player on the football Mm -hmm. field so now they're going to have to earn and they could still win all their games and like you said if they go 13 and 0 and everybody's 13 and 0 you can't say, well, we're taking Georgia out because Brock Bowers won't play. No, they, they've earned their ranking. And I still think they're number one, even though, like I said, that opens it up. And it honestly gives Kirby Smart more ammunition to say they're an underdog somehow. And, and that's what he'll do. So a lot of football left for Georgia. They are on a bye week. So probably the right time for that. Yeah. Uh, leftover thoughts. Washington and Oregon. Uh, we we you and I didn't discuss it on Saturday. I was out uh, traveling. We didn't have our live show, but um, there was a lot to talk about, especially with Dan Lanning and his decisions to go for it on fourth down three times. They went over three. I saw his press conference yesterday where he addressed it, and he did a really good job with it. I think he kind of took ownership in the first fourth down decision, which I would had the biggest problem with and I think most people had the biggest problem with was the one right before halftime when they decided to go for it on fourth and goal from the three or four in the last play of the half they were going to get the ball to start the third quarter they had just picked Michael Penix off and there was it was just a bad decision I think he acknowledged that because when you go for it on fourth and goal the, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is you don't get it, but at least the other team is pinned back inside their five-yard line, right? Right. The last play of the half, <laughs> that goes out the window. So you don't even get that benefit. So I, I really question that one. Uh, the one at the very end of the game where they're trying to win the game, there was two minutes to go, punting versus not punting. Given that they were already 0 for 2, it made me a little more hesitant, but I think that one was defensible. What did you think of the three fourth downs? I think there's a younger generation of football fans that is obsessed with going for it on fourth down. And they act as though there's a person or a deity named analytics that tells you so. And I think it's absurd. I do because it's it, you can't be all one thing or all the other. So when he goes for it at the end of the fourth down, at the end of the half and you don't take points in a tight game. That I like you. That's the one that I have the most issue with because you just take points. And he said, well, we're here to win the game. Well, okay. Now, that, that, that's when you get outside yourself. You have to be able to read the game flow of the situation. You have to be able to – I think there is – I get it. You know, fourth and one, you want to have a coach that you rally around. I believe in you guys. Let's get this fourth and one. But then there's a t- – that's the head coach's job to take the emotion out of the decision and kick the ball. Exactly. What, when you go to a game and it's fourth down, the crowd's like, go for it. And then that's the coach's job to be like, okay, I'm a coach. I'm not a fan in the stand. <laughs> I looked this up last year in the NFL, and I don't – this was last year the, the, at one point in the season. And the two coaches that were going for it the least – in the NFL were two guys named Bill Belichick, who is the best coach ever, despite what's happening this year. And Andy Reid. he's been doing it for a while. Right. And he has Patrick Mahomes and the temptation to go for it on fourth down all the time is probably there. 
But I again, I don't think it's all one thing or all the other. I think you have to be able to read the field and game. And we can sit here and say, you're only looking at the results of the play and Oregon didn't get it. So it's easy to roast Dan Lanning. The way I look at it is that's the difference between the college football playoff and the holiday bowl. Those are the consequences of your decision. So if you can't take the emotion out of it and, and going for it late was questionable because you gave Washington the ball on half the field. It took one pass to get down there. And tons of momentum. Like that whole crowd was like, we stopped him. We got the ball at the 50. We got Michael Penix. And it was almost like the momentum carried them in those two plays, like boom, boom. Like, Oh, yeah. And you could say, well, yeah, no, you punt and make them go 90, 80 yards. Without he, question. He did the same thing last year in the backfire. Like he didn't yeah. change up. You know what I mean? He doubled down. He They went for it on their own 34-yard line in a tie game last year on fourth and one. Didn't get it. Washington takes over kicks an easy field goal wins a game right and almost like i'm gonna prove that i was right all along and go for it again like i don't know i mean yeah there there is a a, but like so you look at spinning it forward a little bit to this week penn state for example penn state's the best team going forward on fourth down in the country they're 11 of 12 i anticipate when they're up at the shoe this weekend that that if there's a fourth and one or a fourth and two in any game situation here that James Franklin's going to go for it. And those are the decisions he'll have to live with. If they win, it's, oh, Penn State finally did it. They win in the shoe. If they don't get it, it falls back on James Franklin. So as long as you're able to live with those decisions, and I, Coach Franklin probably is, you know, because a lot's going to be made of his record against the Buckeyes this week. But it's the same thing with Lanning, because what are we, what are we talking about from that game? We're not talking about, Penix and Knicks and how awesome and up and down. And that, that was like watching a basketball game, but a football game. We're talking about those fourth down decisions. And I don't, you're going to have to tell me what analytics is. I, I, I understand, but it's like, that's what we say. I mean, analytics, like, okay, he's not my assistant coach. They come like, up with mysterious p- percentages that we don't know where they come from. Or right, like he's not my coach, my assistant coach, my offense coordinator. He's not telling me my, my right guard just jumped off is, little twitchy he's not telling me that my running back just ran it four times so I do respect the numbers though because I get it on fourth and one fourth and two most of the time you should go for it and just get your first down but you don't take points off the board in a close game well to your point too I think I heard a discussion I think it was the uh the Yahoo podcast Oregon was eight for ten on fourth down prior to that game but against obviously easier competition but those were most of them were fourth and one or fourth and two. The only and is these game uh, plays against Washington were fourth and three, fourth and four type situations. And the only time they converted this year prior to the Washington game, and now still on a fourth down longer than two yards, was the fake punt against Colorado. Mm-hmm. So they had not run a fourth and three, fourth and four successfully prior to. The, the Oregon game well, and, and, and the Washington game. Yeah, so. and Notre Dame, Ohio State, Bill, the, the fourth downs define that game. The the short yardage, and I believe the only one that, and it wasn't a fourth down, the only short yardage play was Ohio State scoring the game-winning touchdown. Notre Dame didn't convert fourth downs. Ohio State didn't convert fourth downs. So you can say it's easy to get a yard. It's not. <laughs> not when the ball, not when the box is loaded, not when things can go wrong. It's not. That's, 
and not the the college teams aren't running the tush push to my to my I haven't seen it a lot. I mean, Philadelphia has obviously mastered that a little bit. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's not one. I don't begrudge Dan Lanning. I just think you have to be able to live with the consequences. In this case, if if you are into that thing and you're just going to defend him to the death, well, you're going to be defending him to the death on the Holiday Bowl sideline because that's where they might end up now. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a powerful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Hey, all right. Well, let's. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to some just craziness in the, the week seven. Uh, starting on Thursday night, I don't know if a lot of fans necessarily caught this game or caught basically Thursday night late, Friday night late, and Saturday night late. We had three just amazing finishes. Uh, Thursday night was the West Virginia Houston finish. West Virginia throws a 50 yard touchdown pass on fourth and 10 with 12 seconds left to take a 39-35 lead. Garrett Green, quarterback for West Virginia, takes his helmet off in the celebration. They give him a 15-yard penalty. West Virginia has to back up a little bit to kick off. Houston starts their next drive with seven seconds left on their own 43. One pass to midfield. Then they complete the Hail Mary, the walk-off Hail Mary, to make it 41-39. Amazing finish between Houston and West Virginia. That was Thursday night. Friday night, we had Stanford and Colorado. Colorado was up 29-0, and then Stanford comes back. I think you said you watched the first half of this game. Colorado. I went to bed. I, true confessions of a college football player. Yeah, I went to bed. Bella had a volleyball game at 8. I'm like, this is over. I can <laughs> catch the highlights. And I woke up in the middle. I always wake up about 3 or 4 in the middle of the night anyway. I can't sleep through. And... I looked at the score and I go, I thought I woke up my wife. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> what did I miss? That was, that so, was my story. I was traveling. I had really busy. Yeah. I went to bed, I think I told you at nine o'clock that night before yeah. they even kicked off. Woke up in the middle of the night, like 1.30, checked my phone. It was 36.33. Yeah. So I actually did Turned see it. Turned it on. Look at you. A yeah. lot of people did not see the drama. And I will say, Shador Sanders for all the flowers we've given him, he's a terrific player and everything. He made two critical errors that obviously nobody saw. People were in bed and asleep and whatever. But, you know, Colorado was up 36-33, three minutes to go. They had a third down and two at the Stanford 41-yard line. Stanford was down to one timeout. He completes – or they get the first down there. Pretty much it's over. Uh, they can't quite kneel on it, but – they're in very, very good shape. Uh, Colorado decides to pass it. 
Travis Hunter does a quick out. He's wide open, and Shador overthrew him by like five yards. So that was a really bad pass there that could have sealed the game. And then in the second overtime, I don't know if you saw the highlight of his interception, they had third and goal at the one-yard line or two-yard line, backpedaled, backpedaled, scrambled, and just made a very, very ill-advised pass for the interception. At a minimum, you got to make sure you get the field goal there. He's very good at protecting the ball, usually lost his head in that situation too. So two bad plays by, by Shador Sanders. Uh, during a season in which he, he reads, he's been terrific for the most part. So anyway, that was the late night drama on Friday. And then the late night drama on Saturday. I know this was after you went to bed too, to Colorado state 31 Boise state 30 Boise was up 30 to 10 halfway through the fourth quarter. Colorado state goes down, scores a touchdown, gets the onside kick, scores another touchdown. And then, uh, Boise State recovered the second onside kick, so they're still up by six. They go three and out and punt deep. Colorado State has to go 88 yards in 33 seconds, and they do it. 33-yard Hail Mary that was deflected right into the hands of Dalen Hawker uh, for the winning touchdown. So that was just some crazy late night there. Colorado State got penalized for celebrating, had to move the extra point back 15 yards for a little extra dash of drama, but then they – hit the extra point, and it was their first win over Boise State. In quite some time. It was a huge win for them. Yeah, so uh, just wild. This Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. That's the rule. You can't go to bed, Bill. No one can go to bed until the last whistle. Well, I'm normally pretty good about that, but I was like <laughs> Saturday night I peeled off because I was like, eh, you know, they, these are good. And they, that one was in the bag. So no lead is safe late at night. And the Colorado <laughs> one is jarring because – Again, after the game, it was less about the collapse and whatever Dion says in his press conference. Well, this is the growing pains that every program goes through. You know, you have to take the good with the bad, even with Dion. And I saw the SNL skit. That was pretty funny that Saturday Night Live parodied Dion. And it was it was pretty, pretty fun. I don't watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, because we're watching college football. But uh <laughs> That was pretty good. So they, they did a very good job on that skit. But, yeah, it was a fun week. And, um, you know, some other implications, like you mentioned, we got to get into week eight. I mean, the Heisman race has changed. The, yeah, let's talk Heisman let's, race. let's talk Heisman because I'll, I'll start. But yeah, Caleb obviously had a rough night. And we talked about Brock Bowers being injured. Right now, Michael Penix would be my leader. But it – it became very open. This is also very open because I think, you know, if you and I had an honest discussion where we like, who's the best player in the country, it's probably Marvin Harrison. Who's having the best season right now, probably Jaden Daniels, but who has the best resume of stats and huge win and hasn't really had a moment. He had his moment and he had a moment, Michael Penix. So, I mean, those three, but it's, you know, who's the best team in the country right now? Is it Michigan? Is it J.J. McCarthy leading that team? Because that's – you normally attach a guy to a playoff run. And with them, it's like, I don't know who their best player is. It might be McCarthy. It might be Corum. It might be Mason Graham, their defensive tackle. Um, they've got a lot of options there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's wide open. Jordan Travis is still in the mix. you got to look at him on Saturday. It's – it's become more – and Caleb could still get back in it. Caleb could reel off eight straight wins and take USC to the playoff and 
have a couple moments. Um, like you said, even in that Notre Dame game, you told me this yesterday. What did you say? Like, even though he got beat up, there were a couple plays where you're like, oh my gosh, how did no he do that? No question about it. Yeah, no, his talent is indisputable. I mean, he played poorly, made a couple bad decisions in the first half. But yeah, you can just see the talent. It doesn't have to be a touchdown pass to see what he can do. Um, but credit Notre Dame. I mean, the defense really, they, they confused him a few times. They got a lot of pressure. They got six sacks, which they had not been doing. Um, and so good for Notre Dame. And, you know, you know the, how the Heisman works, though. It's like, it's a lot of groupthink. And- oh, it is. It's, it's homecoming king. Homecoming king. That's what it is. It's, it changes every week. Who's the most popular guy? Sorry to interrupt. Finish finish what you were saying, right? No, that's what I was saying. There's a lot of groupthink, and right now Penix has all the momentum because of, you know, he had the spotlight and he did it. Like, they had been dominant. He had put up incredible numbers. Not sure how many people had necessarily watched him on a play-by-play-by-play basis. And then he got his chance, and then he comes through with the 50-yard drive when when the oh, chips are no. down and everything. And, and that's what it takes to really uh, – rock it up to the top and it's his to lose i would think it's because of the nature of the award and how just how it works like he's checked every box so far yeah i i have i think i told you this so of the years that i voted for the heisman i think this will be i think the first year i voted for it was lamar maybe so the only time I voted Lamar or Baker, but the only year I voted for the guy that didn't win it was I voted for Tua over Kyler. And my buddies were making fun of me the next week. They were like, hey, you chose the wrong guys. Like I didn't because it's my vote. So, but every year I've been pretty on to, whether it's groupthink or not, like Devontae Smith, I was fine with that. Um, Joe Burrow was the easiest one where I literally didn't, I'm like, I woke up, Burrow, next two guys. Don't even remember who the next two guys was. I was like, Burrow, I, I could have put Burrow in all three spots. Um, so it, this one's going to be tough. I, I already feel like it. It's because who's to say if Marvin Harrison has 180 yards and four touchdowns this weekend, I mean, he'll vault right to the top If with these big games. If there's not an uh, Alabama probably doesn't. I mean, when do we start talking about Dallas Turner? you know, that he could get into the mix. I think he's the best defensive player in the country right now. So, and Alabama loves having that. So it it is wide open. It's going to be a lot of fun sorting out who wins it. Yeah, and it's wide open with the teams too, right? We'll talk about that just for a second. I looked it up. Uh, Six teams this week received number one votes. Six different teams. We're week eight between AP and the coaches poll. Uh, We are in week eight. Oklahoma got one, Washington, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, and I think Florida State. I think those six teams all got a number one vote. And we are in week eight. Uh, That is the most for a week eight in that type of situation since 2015. And so it just brings me back to the theme that number five is going to feel like they really got left out at the end of the the college football selection process, playoff selection process. So I'm looking at 15 right yeah, now. Like Those six Baylor teams, TCU is kind of crazy. Baylor TCU, Clemson, and LSU, High State, and then Mid Alabama had they were number seven at the time. They end up winning the national title, and Michigan and, State sitting there at six. So, but 
And Baylor yeah. and TCU didn't make the playoff. Right. Well, so from so the they were getting number one votes at week eight, and then they didn't make the playoff. Well, here's my point, though. Michigan State's sitting there without a vote, and that's why the game mattered. Michigan State beat Ohio State that season in Columbus on a rainy day with their backup quarterback because Connor Cook couldn't play, and they won on a last-second field goal, and Ohio State was left out of the playoff that year. And I know, to your point, I know some players on that team, like Josh Perry, and and they that's the, the more talented team, the mm-hmm. one that didn't win – the year before they won a national championship, the more the year after they felt like they were maybe more talented, but they didn't win it. But that's the consequences of these huge games. I mean, I remember very clearly that Michigan State Ohio State game. So if we had twelve teams, I'm like, Michigan State might not beat them in a rematch. But that's why these regular season games have to matter, and that's why on Saturday there's so much pressure on Penn State. I think because. Uh, this is their team. This is their chance. And we'll get into it later in the week, but that's why these games have to matter. James Franklin really wants to push this team into the 14 playoff. They're the, probably the best. I'd have to look up the records. I used to say it was Wisconsin. Penn state's probably the best program that hasn't been in the playoff. I would say over the last, since 14, I could probably back that up, but this is why there's so much pressure on them, but it is a fun race. Like you said, and any one of those six teams could be considered number one. Yeah. No doubt. So uh, last topic I want to talk to you on is uh, Jimbo Fisher. They uh, got beat at Tennessee this week. They are four and three right now. They still have a trip to Ole Miss. They still have a trip to LSU. The road has not been kind, to say the least, for Texas A&M. They have lost eight straight on the road. And since Jimbo has taken over, in College Station, they are 0-8 on the road against ranked teams. Uh, two very, very damaging numbers for uh, for Jimbo. They are 9-13 and in their last 22 Power 5 opponents. I mean, this is a program that if he didn't have this enormous buyout, there would be no question he would be gone. Where do you stand on whether or not he will come back next year? We're going to write about that later this probably this afternoon. I'm probably going to dig into that for sporting news. But here of all those numbers, here's the one that is most jarring to me. Um, Since they went nine and one in 2020 and they had a borderline playoff case that year, they lost to Alabama, who was best Alabama team. So last three years in SEC play, they're eight and 12. That's 40 percent in SEC play. With a That's, roster that is off the charts talent-wise. If you look at that composite right. thing, they are way up there. Remember when NIL started, Bill, and we were like, they're going to be so loaded. They're going to buy their roster. Nick Saban had concerns about it. But on the field, 8-12 and 12 in conference play. And I get how tough the SEC West grinder is. There's like somebody goes home unhappy every week, you right. know, and, and every season, honestly. But that's not good enough. That's not going to be good enough when Texas comes in and – and Oklahoma comes in, and and they, Texas A and M. I mean, what what's next, Bill? Is it do you like Oa Jimbo Fisher? Do you move on? Do you go? We talked very briefly about it yesterday, so I'm going to give you credit for this idea. Do you, do you go give Dion a call and make your splash that way? I don't know if getting when when and the whole thing with Dion and, and coaches in general is sometimes the the not splashy hire works. Jimbo was a very splashy hire for them. 
and it hasn't worked maybe the way that it should. Um, because like you said, the talent, I wonder if, and, and the athletic does a good job with this. Typically. I, I don't know if they have this story, but roster versus results, like recruiting rankings versus results. They've got to be one of the poorest turnarounds, right? Yeah. They have to. And where's the offense? Where is Bobby Petrino's influence? I mean, I know they lost their starting quarterback, but you know, look at their points per game in the SEC. They're two and two right now, and they're averaging about 23, 24 points a game. Like that's not gonna cut it. Mm-hmm. And they've got uh, like I said, I know the quarterback got hurt, but not till last week, right? And that's not going to win enough games for you. Uh, you know, the early returns were promising. They scored in the non-conference. They put 33 up against Miami, but like they weren't totally in that game. Um, and then they got 40 a couple of times, which they never crossed the 40 mark. So there was some progress. But once they've gotten into SEC play, it's been back in the 20s and sub-20, 13 points right on Saturday against Tennessee. Uh they just haven't been able to figure it out. And I mean, I give him credit for Jimbo's gave up his play calling. He hired Bobby Petrino. He's doing what he thinks he should do, but it's just not translating. Right. And, you know, we'll see if it works out, but they've got tough schedule the rest of the way. They still got to play LSU. I mean, they they've proven they can play with Alabama for one game, like for one week. They they've done that the last three years, three years in a row. Exactly. So that, but it's, that's almost like getting up for your rival and not being consistent every other week. And I think that's been the issue. So I'm sure it's going to be a hot topic. It's still just so much money and irresponsible in some ways for a university to have to pay that kind of money, regardless of how big college football is. I know that was a topic of conversation. Well, pay the buyout and then pay your next guy. Right. A whole lot of money. Cause they're not going to settle for a no name kind of guy. Right. So, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do, especially because those Texas schools like attention and Texas is getting the attention. Texas and Oklahoma, they know those schools very well. So I wouldn't, it, again, it's, it's kind of like homecoming. It's homecoming season here in Ohio, so maybe that's on the mind. But um, <laughs> Texas A&M is going to want, want some uh, attention at the dance next year because uh, there, there's some new people coming into the conference. And – Either Texas or Oklahoma has a good chance to make the playoff as they come into the SEC, and the pressure ratchets up just because it's a rival. I mean, I guess Oklahoma's not necessarily a rival, but they're going to be. Oh yeah, they are a rival. They're that area of the neighborhood, and yeah, recruiting in Texas and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think Jimbo's seat is is very very hot. Well, I'll just to say this real quick, Oklahoma when the schedule release came out last summer, right? And I was watching on SEC Network, and I was watching on this Oklahoma feed for some reason. Um, they weren't, like, backing down from the conference. They were like, hey, sweet, we got Alabama. Hey, we got, you know, they that program isn't worried about their tough schedule. And that they're in pretty good shape right now. So uh, they're probably the best of the three right now going into 2024, though that could change. All right. All right, let's revisit Trochi Trivia 2016 Washington. They went 11 and 1. 
They went to the playoff for the first time. They had to win the Pac-12 championship game. This Washington team might be in the same spot in a month or so. Uh, who did Washington beat in the Pac-12 championship game that year to end up in the college football playoff? Uh, I was Colorado with Mike McIntyre and well a, a Colorado team that had like a Cinderella season. Um, won some close games. I, man, Brian Howell's gonna punch me in the arm if I don't get this right. I think their quarterback was Montez, but maybe it wasn't. They they were they were a fun team. I remember they they we thought they had a chance to maybe upset Washington because in Big Ten country, they were hoping for the two Big Ten scenario to unfold. That was the week after Michigan and Ohio State had played the spot that game. And <laughs> Michigan and Penn State were kind of anxious because they were trying to slip into the playoff. It was uh, – but Washington got it done. That was a really good Washington team. So yes. I got I knew that one right off the bat because that you 2016 are- season was pretty crystal clear at the end. Yeah, you were you're right with Montez and uh, Colorado went uh, eight and one in the wow. conference. Wow! Besides the uh, pandemic season where Colorado went four and two, and you know, I'd kind of throw that one out. That 2016 team mm-hmm. only winning season for Colorado since 2005. Wow! <laughs> I, that's Brian Howe was like. Uh, <laughs> Letting us know. I mean, he's been in a lot of rough press boxes. So I'm still, I hope Dion gets Colorado to a bowl game for a good friend of the podcast and Brian Howe. That's right. That will be their second winning season, excluding the, uh, the uh, pandemic season since 2005. Amazing. So anyway, all right, Bill, that was fun. Yep. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to our podcast. Please leave a review. If you enjoyed it today, uh, we will be back later in the week with more shows getting ready for week eight. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you soon.